Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. You and I live in a culture that is increasingly opposed to those who trust in God. And it can be a challenge to understand how we are to live in such a world. Right now, we are in a journey through the book of Daniel, learning how God calls us to live when surrounded by people who do not believe. If you had to describe yourself in three words, what words would you choose? Today we're going to talk about three words Jesus used to define himself. And to understand what they mean, we have to go all the way back to something that was written over 500 years before Jesus lived on this earth. It's an important discussion, so I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something He would like to say to you. Now, a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago, I was talking with a local rabbi, and the rabbi asked me a question that I honestly had never been asked before. And since she asked me the question, I have come to understand that this is a question that actually gets asked asked quite a bit. Uh, by people from Jewish tradition and by people from uh, Islamic traditions. And it's a, it's a good question. It also gets asked by religious scholars in general. So there's a man by the name of Bart Ehrman, who I've just recently come to know, but who's written a number of New York Times bestsellers, uh, very skeptical towards the Bible, very skeptical towards Jesus. And his last book that he wrote in 2014 deals specifically with this question uh, that the rabbi asked me. And she said to me this, she said, did Jesus know that he was sent here by God and that he would be the savior? Or is that something that people put on him afterwards? Now, I had never been asked that question that way, that directly. And it's, a, it's not a bad question. It's a good question to ask. That's a good question to ask. Did Jesus know? Or was he just a good teacher? Was he just another rabbi that was a good teacher that was going around? And it was his followers after the fact, after his death, who came up with this whole idea that he was really the Messiah who was sent by God to be the Savior of the world. Did Jesus know that? Or did people put that on him after the fact? And I've come to realize this is a question that's asked over and over and over again. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks... Uh, we've been walking through the book of Daniel, and we've been specifically talking about what it looks like to be a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, in a culture that largely does not believe. Right? Whether, you're, whether you're sitting here this morning and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ or you don't, we're really glad that you're here. And you would agree with us, you would agree with us, whether you count yourself religious or not, you would agree with us, right, that most people in our culture, most people in our culture, don't believe and don't follow God, the God of this Bible, and don't follow this book uh, the way that we would consider ourselves followers of this book and followers of God. This is the world we live in. For example, in the fourth century, there was a young English uh, shepherd, and he watched over his family's sheep. And around this time, the the covering that had been put over England by Rome, the Roman Empire, they helped make sure England had armed forces and was protected, that was evaporating. And as that was evaporating, uh, Irish, uh, the Irish were coming in and they were wreaking havoc in England at the time. 
It's around, and, and this 16-year-old shepherd boy, one day, these Irish vandals came and they t- kidnapped him and took him hostage back to Ireland. And he was mistreated and abused until he was 22. He made a miraculous escape and he made it back home to England. And his family was overjoyed that he was home. Well, this young man at 22, he couldn't get his captors out of his mind. And he knew that God wanted him to go and to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the very people who had held him captive. And so very courageously and heroically, he went into Ireland and he planted over 200 churches and and converted and baptized over 100,000 people. And this is what he said. I am greatly a debtor to God who has bestowed his grace so largely upon me that multitudes were born again to God through me. The Irish who had never had the knowledge of God and worshiped only idols and unclean things have lately become people of the Lord and are called sons of God. And Patrick died on March 17th. 461 AD, and we celebrate the revival in Ireland by having a parade in South Boston and drinking green beer and eating green cupcakes in the fellowship hall after church, and I will run out of second service to make my daughter's Irish step dance recital today, right? Our world doesn't believe, because this is one of the greatest revivals in history of people turning to follow Jesus Christ. We don't remember it that way. We don't believe. We don't follow this. This is not our culture that we live in. And so how do you follow Jesus in the midst of this culture? How do you do that well? That's the big question. And then in a culture where people don't largely believe, they're going to say things and do things to try to poke holes into the faith that you say that you follow and that I say that I follow. And one of the ways they'll do that is by asking a question like this. Did Jesus really know that he was the Messiah? Or is that just something that after he died, people started telling stories and people started saying things? And, you know, lo and behold, 200, 300 years later, now he's portrayed as this Messiah. But he never thought of himself that way. He was just a teacher walking through the countryside, teaching things to people. And it's the people that made him into this figure. How do you answer that? Because if you were to open up the Bible, here's what I was challenged with. If you're to open up the Bible and say, well, let me find a verse. It's not as easy as you might think. It's actually not as easy as you might think to find that definitive verse where Jesus says very plainly what the question is asking. And so we're going to look today at a place where I think Jesus answers that question very definitively. And the only way to answer that question, whether or not Jesus knew who he was, is to go back 500 years into Daniel chapter 7, which we're going to do this morning. Because if we're going to understand who Jesus claimed to be, we have to first understand something that was said Five centuries before Jesus ever came to this earth. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, here's where I need you to stick with me. Because we are about to make a massive shift in the book of Daniel. All the way up through chapter 6, we've gone chapters 1 through chapter 6. We've been in historical narrative. We've talked about stories that happened. Kings had dreams and Daniel interpreted them. His friends got thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to an idol. Daniel himself, last week, if you remember, was thrown into the den of lions because he kept praying to God when the law said that he couldn't. Those are all historical narratives, all historical stories. Now we make this massive shift in the book of Daniel. And most smart and wise pastors stop their sermon series after Daniel chapter 6, all right? And you'll see why in just a moment. 
Those of you who read the rest of the book, you're laughing because you know what we're talking about. But your pastors are going to keep going, all right? Wise, smart pastors would stop. We're going to keep going. And, and the reason we're going to keep going is because what is written in the second half of the book of Daniel is important stuff. And it's important that we understand it. It takes more work to understand it, and that's why I'm asking you to stick with me a little bit here this morning. It's, it's more obvious than, it's, it's more work than just Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den and the lions don't eat him. That's easy to understand. We get that. We understand what God did there. This is a little ch- more challenging, what's written in the second half of Daniel. It's something called apocryphal literature. That's what the second half of Daniel is, apocryphal literature. Someone say apocryphal with me. Can you say that with me? Apocryphal. One, two, on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Apocryphal. apocryphal. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Apocryphal literature. What does that mean? What does that mean? Apocryphal literature is this. It's found in the second half of Daniel. It's found in Matthew chapter 24. It's found in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. And it's found in the big book at the end there, the book of Revelation, which is where many of us go to read this type of literature. Apocryphal literature. Apocryphal literature is prophecy that uses vivid images and metaphors to talk about things that are going to happen and specifically talks about what will happen at the end of the world. Apocryphal literature is prophecy that uses vivid images and metaphors to talk about what's going to happen in the future. And specifically what separates it is that there's some aspect in it of what's going to happen at the end of the world. Okay. Now, this language that's in, that's in the Bible, this, this t- genre of literature that's in the Bible, many of us don't know what to do with it, right? I see, I see that most of us come from one or two extremes to this type of literature. Either we avoid it entirely because we have no idea what it's talking about, and it just hurts our brain to try to think about it. And so we just avoid it and pretend like it's not there. Or, or... We get so wrapped up in it, that's all we think about. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we take a more nuanced approach, that we take a more nuanced approach to this, that it's, it's not that we want to avoid it because everything in the Bible is given to us by God and is useful to us for our lives, so we don't want to avoid it completely. But we also don't want to get so wrapped up into it that one night we find ourselves in the local park with a few other people, you know, waiting for the aliens to come down, right? So there has to be a middle ground there. There has to be a middle ground. And so how do we do that? How do we deal with it? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to read the first few verses of Daniel chapter 7. Stick with me. Let's read these together. And very quickly, I think you'll understand why these passages are a challenge. Here we go. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. 
After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. I think it's pretty self-explanatory what's happening here, right? You see why most people stop after the lion's den? What is it, what is it talking about? How do we deal with this language? We just read about Daniel has a vision, and there's four beasts in this vision. Four beasts, all right? If you were to go back, one looks like a lion with eagle's wings. One looks like a bear with two sides and one side raised up with three ribs in its mouth. One is like a leopard with four heads. And then this final one isn't like an animal at all. It's this beast with horns and eyes and one horn that breaks off. And and you heard what we read. So what do you do with that when you read that? You're doing your annual Bible plan. Your pastors in January said to you, read your Bible this year. And you're doing your Bible reading plan. And you get to this stuff. How do you handle this stuff? What do you do with it? Well, it's important that we, that we understand what to do with it. And here are two things that, I'm, that I would suggest to you. Two things I would suggest to you. One, you know in real estate, the three most important things in real estate are location, 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 right? The three most important things in reading scripture are context, context, context. Context, context, context. To whom was it said? What are the people that God's speaking to? And what did it mean when he said it to those people first? We can't understand what it means to us if we don't understand what it means to the people that God spoke it to first. And so the first thing you have to remember is that what matters most is the context of this. And every time God speaks in this way, in apocryphal literature, he's talking specifically to a group of people that are being oppressed and persecuted for their faith. And he's saying to them, he's saying to them, don't you worry. In the end, I win. In the end, I win. Now, there's going to be stuff that happens that's chaotic. There's going to be stuff that happens that you don't understand, and it comes with all the visions and everything else. But in the end, I, your God, win. And that message goes out to Daniel's people in this section that are in exile underneath uh, the Babylonians and the Persians and being persecuted. It goes out to the early Christians in the book of Revelation uh, who are being persecuted for their faith. And so that's the main message of any of this literature is that things may be difficult now, but in the end, God wins. And we can't forget that as we try to figure out what it means and try to figure out what is being said. That's the overall context every single time. And when we read this kind of literature, when we read this kind of literature, here's what I would suggest that you do. That every single time you read it, you look back in time with certainty and you look forward in time in confidence. That you look back in time with certainty and forward in time with confidence. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I said there's always an aspect of this type of literature that talks about the end of the world, the end of times. But some of the things that are talked about in these passages have already happened. And of the three of the four beasts that we just read about in these passages, almost all people agree, almost all biblical scholars agree, that three of these things have already happened. The fourth one, the one with the ten horns, that one is harder to understand. But most scholars believe that three of these things have already happened, and here they are. The first beast, does anyone remember, was the lion with the wings. The lion with the wings. Almost everyone agrees that that is Babylon, 
who Daniel was under Babylon oppression. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar and all these stories have you been with us over the last few weeks. And the reason we believe that is because other places in scripture, Babylon is talked about as a lion and also an eagle. And if you look at ancient artifacts that have been unearthed from Babylon, the lion was the animal that the Babylonians used to represent themselves. And so that's Babylon. That's happened. That's the first beast. The second beast is a bear with two sides, one raised up, three ribs in its mouth. What does that mean? Well, after Babylon, stick with me, after Babylon came the Persian Empire. Does anyone remember the story a few weeks ago how they snuck under the walls of Babylon? They drained the river and snuck under the walls and captured the city. The Persians take over. The Persians are actually two empires in one. You have the Medes and the Persians. And the Persians became stronger than the Medes. They actually took over. So you have one bear with two sides, Medes and Persians, and one side is higher. The Persians were really in control. And the three ribs in its mouth, the Persians took over three kingdoms. They took over uh, Lydia, they took over Babylon, and they took over Egypt. Those are the three ribs. Bible scholars agree. That's the Medes and Persia. The leopard, the swift leopard with the four heads. Greece. Alexander the Great, you remember that from your history class, right? Alexander the Great moved quickly like a leopard and took over large areas of the world, of the known world at the time. And when he died, his kingdom was left to four different rulers, four heads. So when Daniel's giving this prophecy, think about this. When Daniel's giving this prophecy, he has no idea what's coming, no idea what's ahead. He's giving this prophecy when the Babylonians are still in charge. You learn that from verse 1. King Belshazzar is ruling. The Babylonians are in charge. So so Daniel gives this prophecy. He has no idea what the bear represents, no idea what the leopard represents, no idea what what the beast with the ten horns represents. But we can look back with some certainty and say that's what God was talking to Daniel about, is these rulers that were coming. Now, there's this fourth beast, the one with ten horns, where one horn breaks off. And here, there's less agreement. Some people think they know what this means. Other people do not. But there's one aspect of this piece that hasn't happened yet, and almost everyone agrees with that. This horn that breaks off and starts to rule, that most people think is someone that's coming at the end. And maybe you've heard the term antichrist before. Many people think it's pointing towards this one figure who will be one figure that stands against people who believe and follow Jesus Christ in the end. Now, what do you do with that? I said, we look back with certainty. We look back and we say, this is what God was talking about. But what do we do with what's coming ahead? Well, here's what I would, su- I would suggest not to do. We can waste a lot of time and energy trying to figure this out on our own. We can put a lot of energy and effort, and many, much, a great deal of energy and effort has been put into trying to figure out what's going to happen and who this person is. I grew up in church world. Every time someone got elected, someone in my church didn't like, they were that horn. Every time there was a world leader that brought fear into people's lives, they were the Antichrist. Right? We've gone, I've, I've lived through a lot of antichrists in my life based on the people at my church where I grew up, okay? So we can spend a lot of time trying to figure this out. We can spend a lot of time trying to piece together the news and try to figure it out. But here's what I think is true about this. You can look forward in confidence because the whole context of what God is saying 
is there will be leadership that rises up against believers in the church, but I win in the end. So it's confidence. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to figure out every little last thing. We'll know it when we see it. We'll know it when we see it. There's a pastor named Rodney Stortz who wrote a story about him following directions that someone had written him. Does anyone remember when you had to follow handwritten directions? You remember these days? Before, no GPS, no, I love the Waze app. It is my best friend. But, uh, but before that, before MapQuest printed directions, when you used to have to write down and people would say things like, go to the third tree and take a left, like those sorts of days. Well, he was following directions with a group of people in the car, he said. And the person had written down, take a right at the street sign suspended high in the air over the intersection. And they were driving, he said, for 15 or 20 minutes, and everyone in the car was speculating. What does that mean? They thought maybe the person had like, lost their mind, that they had miswritten it, or the person had said it and the person riding the directions had misheard. The street sign suspended high in the air over the top of the intersection. What in the world are they talking about? And so as they're going and as they're driving, they're trying to understand this. And one person says, well, maybe it's this. And another person says, well, maybe it's that. He pulled up to an intersection and they looked up and the street sign had been knocked over, the normal street sign. And someone had taken the name of the street and suspended it from a tree that hung high over the top of the intersection. He said, we had no idea what they were talking about, but the moment we saw it, we knew. And that's kind of how this is going to work. We can spend all sorts of time on our journey trying to figure it out on our own, but when it happens definitively, we will know. Just like you could look back and, and say, hey, a bear with two sides, one raised up, three ribs in its mouth. What in the world does that mean? But when you see a kingdom that's two empires in one, and one is more powerful, and they take over three other kingdoms, it makes sense. And so we could waste a lot of time trying to figure it all out. I would suggest that rather than trying to figure it all out, that we look backwards with certainty, and we look forward with confidence, knowing what God is going to do. And here's the great piece of this type of literature, is that in the next few verses, God tells us exactly what he's going to do. All right? I know what you're saying to me. What in the world does this have to do with Jesus being the Messiah? We'll get there. We'll get there. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. As I looked, this is Daniel, still seeing his vision. Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That is God himself. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him and thousands, a thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed. That's at the end. This beast that has risen up, God takes care of him, and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And now listen, listen. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. He came to God and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Daniel says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have all of these world leaders, and they are going to be powerful leaders especially this last one, is going to be a powerful leader. 
And he's going to threaten those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. But listen to me. The Ancient of Days, God, still sits on his throne. And he is going to send one who is called the Son of Man, who has all authority and all power, and who is going to establish a kingdom that is greater than any earthly kingdom and lasts forever. That is the picture that Daniel gives us. So I don't know exactly what the horn is. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I know this for sure, that God sends the Son of Man who has all authority and power over everyone, who everyone is supposed to worship, and who establishes a kingdom that never ends. Now, did Jesus know he was the Messiah? Did he know he was sent to do this? Right before Jesus goes to the cross, He's standing in front of Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders are asking him, who are you? Who are you? See, the establishment of the time, the religious establishment, they were frustrated. They were frustrated uh, that Jesus was having so many followers and such a big influence. He was taking away their authority. So they said, who are you? They wanted to kill him. And look what he says in Mark chapter 14. You could also go to Matthew And see it there too. We're going to look at Mark. Mark chapter 14, verse 61. This is what happens. But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And listen to how Jesus describes himself. To all that we've just learned, listen to how Jesus describes himself. Three words to describe himself. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And watch what the high priest does. If Jesus wasn't saying anything significant here, they would have just scoffed at him. What is this guy talking about coming on the clouds? But the high priest who is familiar with the Old Testament and knows in and out the Old Testament and the prophecies and the book of Daniel chapter 7 written 500 years earlier, he He tears his garments and says, what other witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And here's the thing that we find out in this moment, that Jesus knew exactly who he was and why he had come down to this earth. 500 years earlier, Daniel had written that God was going to send someone known as the Son of Man, who was going to have all authority from God, who all people were supposed to worship, and who was going to establish a kingdom that would never end. And when Jesus is standing up in front of those authorities with the cross threatening him behind him, and they say, who are you? Jesus looks right at them and says, you know the one that Daniel told about 500 years ago? The one who would come from God that had all authority? The one who all people were supposed to worship? The one who was going to establish a kingdom that has no end? The one who is going to return and defeat the beast with the horn? I am he. And the only way to deal with someone who's claiming to be the Messiah and take away your authority if you don't want to follow him is to kill him. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and Jesus knew exactly why he was here. In fact, Son of Man is Jesus' favorite designation for himself. It's used over 80 times in the New Testament. This is how Jesus describes himself. I am the Son of Man. And when we read that in our Bibles, most of us read that and we say, oh, yeah, Jesus was human. Jesus was the Son of God. He was divine, but he was also the Son of Man and was human. Son of Man doesn't mean Jesus was human. Son of Man means Jesus is God. Because of Daniel chapter 7. And they knew exactly what he was saying. And they wanted to kill him for it. 
When it comes to this type of literature, we look back with certainty and forward with confidence. When it comes to Jesus, we look back with certainty and forward with confidence. When you live in a culture where people don't believe what you believe, it's our God versus their God. And people will do whatever they have to do to try to poke holes in the system and try to make us question whether or not what we believe is really worth believing. Whether or not what we believe is really true and reasonable. And one of the ways that people might do that is to ask the question, did Jesus really know who he was? I want you to know this morning that you can look backward 2,000 years ago with absolute certainty that when Jesus came to this earth, he knew who he was and why he was here and what he was here to do. And you can look forward with confidence that one day Jesus will return, that he will be greater than all other rulers and kingdoms, and that he will establish a kingdom that has no end. And you can take confidence in that. And you know what the real question is that you and I have to deal with today? Here's the real question. Not who was Jesus. That's not the question. The question is not who was Jesus. That's not the real question you and I have to deal with today. The real question you and I have to deal with today is who do you say Jesus is? Not who did Jesus say he was. Because we know who Jesus said he was. He's the son of man. And you know what that means? Either he's worthy of your life and your worship, or you should kill him off. That's the only two options. You should get rid of him completely, or he's worthy of all your worship and worthy of your very life. He can't just be some good teacher. He claimed to be God. We don't take people that claim to be God and say, oh, they're just good teachers. We either write them off completely, or we give them our entire lives. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question. Because you have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. God loves you. You have an opportunity to participate in his kingdom that never ends. And it all hinges on who you say he is. Is he just this teacher who traveled around 100, 200, 300 years after people started to call him the Messiah? Or is he the Savior of the world, sent by God to establish a kingdom that began when he came and will be established permanently when he comes again. When it comes to Jesus, look back with certainty and forward with confidence. He is coming. He is who he said he is. I invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And listen, I know that this isn't a sermon. I know that this isn't a sermon where you're going to write down, oh, here's five things I'll do this week. You know, here's five things to be a better person this week. Or here's three tips to use time management better this week. It's not one of those sermons. But this is more important than any of those things. We have to get this one right. Who is Jesus Christ? Who did he say he he was? And who is he today? And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you have never recognized Jesus Christ as this person. You've seen him as a good person. You think he's a nice teacher. Thought he had some good things to say. He loved the kids. He loved his enemies. Nice guy. But he claimed to be much more than that. And you have to answer that question. And if he is that, if he is the one sent by God to establish a kingdom that never ends, then he is worthy of your entire life and all your worship. 
Maybe today would be the day that for the first time you recognize who Jesus is. For those of us who follow Jesus, we need these reminders, don't we? When you look out in the world and you see what's happening, when you look at the pain that's around the world, when you look at the uncertainty, we need these reminders that the plan is not over yet, that Jesus Christ is coming again, and that he is king. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.